Phone's not off. Sorry. Hello and welcome to Lecture in Progress. I'm your host, Will Hudson. Lecture in Progress is an educational resource to help the next generation of creators make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. We've launched the first version of the website alongside a Kickstarter campaign to get the project off the ground. There are some great rewards. Please do check them out at lectureinprogress.com. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do, from graphic designers and illustrators to photographers and filmmakers. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do. My guest in this episode is illustrator George Butler, and I started as always by asking them to describe what it is that they do. I'm a reportage illustrator, and what that means is is doing drawings to tell stories. And uh, I'm lucky enough that that's taken me to some different parts of the world, draw some different um, some different scenarios, some different characters. And, and um, yeah, all the time with the aim of communicating these ideas, these scenarios, doing them justice, primarily in magazines and newspapers. Um, so what does, uh, what does a good week for George Butler, what what is involved in a good week? Because the, these trips, they're not any odd trips. You've been to Afghanistan, Syria, you've been to, I've got them all written down, but they're pretty far flung. This isn't mm. like a day trip to Hastings. Sure. This is, so there's obviously a lot of planning that goes into that. There's then the actual trip, there's then coming back and actually kind of looking at the work and that body of work. What What is a great week for you? What do you, how do you spend that week? Uh, well, this week, I suppose, has been a good week. Couple oh, last month, I came back from a trip from Tajikistan to Moscow. We were recording, me and a guy making a film, were recording an, uh, a huge economic migration from Dushanbe, the capital, all the way to Moscow on the train. And then I've come back from here. I've begun to sift through some of those, finish some of those drawings off, uh, go through the photographs, write to newspapers to say this is what this is the work we've got. How can we best show it? Do you want to show it at all? And then, and then go from there. And then um, today I, I spoke to someone about doing another trip in Palestine and that, and that'll probably be in a couple of months time. So the planning for that begins sort of at the same time. And if, if it's a good week, then, then, then that works. And if it's not, it doesn't. And so, yeah, that's the ideal. What is the, what is the reality? How do you, how do you actually end up spending most of your time? I think like most freelancers, especially in illustration, uh, I've spent most of the time since I graduated, so 10 years ago, just getting a portfolio that I was happy with and then going around to as many people as possible, making a list of the places that I thought could afford to uh, publish the work and then to the people I thought that I could could engage with it and then just building relationships with them like any business. Reading your biography earlier on your site, I love the fact that you... I think it's written by a third party. I don't these these are necessarily your words, but I'm sure you've okayed them. He says it, with a smile. It is George Butler, illustrator and explorer. <laughs> now, I love that. I don't think it's something that you necessarily read every day. And the, the explorer part, as you've already touched on some of those places, it's certainly true. Um, it kind of is it the is it the illustrating that drives the exploring or vice versa, or do they just go hand in hand and feed each other? How does it how does it work for you? Which are you most driven by I think yeah well I think there's probably lots of explorers out there thinking that's not that's not exploration at all what about the illustrators (laughs) well well, that's for you to decide Uh, 
I think it's both. I get, I, I get, there's two reasons why I do it. One is because I get a real thrill out of sitting down and, and just copying something that the idea of trying to reproduce something that's 3D in front of you and experience and interpreting onto a piece of paper so that somebody uh, who hasn't seen it or knows it well can then relate to it. So that, that works in, in any place, whether it's in Hastings or in, uh, in Kabul in Afghanistan. And the other reason is, is, I suppose, a drive to go to places that I find fascinating and meet people that I always feel uh, sort of lucky or privileged is an overused word, but, but, but happy to meet and then try and do their stories justice. And, and when the two of them come together, that's when I think I do the best drawings. There's a great quote by A.A. A. Gill on your work that says, uh, we seem to have lost the art of observational reporter with a sketchbook to photography. Butler's memorable images show that a closely observed drawing is not just worth a thousand words, but a hundred photographs. Now, I watched your TEDx Warwick talk. And even before then, I think I've, I've often used your argument to articulate the difference between illustration and photography when it comes to reportage. Mm. Can you just briefly summarise kind of where you think its its strengths are over photography? Yeah, I think probably since the TED talk, I, I think the two probably shouldn't compete because they are so different. But but there are a couple of things that you get with illustration that you don't get with f- photography. And that is uh, you get the passing of time. So you're you're sitting there for two hours and with a piece of paper, it's open, it's trusted, people looking over your shoulder. They want to know where you're from. They're interested in you as a person and, and vice versa. So you're trying to describe that experience beyond, beyond, beyond I guess, um, the kind of the snap of a shutter or a piece of film. Uh, and then, um, yeah, it's about interpretation and it's about um, getting access to places that you don't get if you're not there for a long, longer period of time. Um, and then piecing them together as a series, you know, a sort of composite of images. Um, picking the things that you think are important, what do you leave in, what do you leave out, uh, which is not always a choice you get with photography. Yeah, very, and I think some of your most memorable images to me are those ones where it is literally just the car window, so you're you're drawn into that. You haven't got kind of what is the car or behind the car or the, the kind of wider landscape. You very much get drawn into that one area. Yeah. Um, we will undoubtedly come on to talk about your work in more depths and the places that you go and the kind of the process in which you produce your work, because mm. it is not unlike anything else, but it's certainly rare. I think the, I mean, the photos that I've seen of you doing your work are, are quite incredible. It's, it's, you put yourself and what I'm desperate to talk to you about later is in relatively uncomfortable scenarios, but I'm sure you'll mm. tell me otherwise. But before we go there, I kind of want to rewind to growing up, was illustration and travel a big part of growing up? Was kind of, were you always someone with a pencil in hand drawing? Not really. Uh, I remember doing it when I was a kid a lot, just sitting and copying pictures, usually animals, I think, just out of books and being incredibly competitive and just wanting to get it perfect and starting late at night and not going to sleep. But actually, no, it wasn't. I'd, I guess I really realized I, I always did it but I guess I really realized I wanted to do it or could do it when I was 16 or 17 and did it for a level and then thought about doing a foundation course and so you did, you did foundation at Kingston yeah where you, you also did your uh BA your undergraduate yeah. um 
what what was the work that you were creating then? Maybe I, I don't know how much Terrible. you would kind of want to dwell on the foundation side. Maybe the it was illustration at Kingston that was the course. Yeah. What were you? What were you drawing? What were kind of what what was your body of work during that time? Well, K- Kingston for me, was, apart from being a great, a great course, wasn't. I didn't really realise that such a thing as reportage illustration existed, and it didn't really. There was one module I think on our in our whole three years, the undergraduate that that. Uh, that was based around reportage. And obviously that was the one that kind of set me on, on this path. And I remember doing, yeah, I remember writing to a plastic surgeon and saying, can I come and draw what the people and who these people are and why they're getting cosmetic surgery done? And would that be all right? And uh, amazingly he thought that would be all right. So (laughs) I went went in and- And was that cosmetic surgery kind of out of choice or out of necessity? Uh, Cosmetic is normally out of choice. Some of them, you could argue both ways. So the little girl that I sort of concentrated on as a case study had an enormous, uh, what they call a melancytic nevus, but it's actually just a big mole on her nose. And so, yeah, it's a fine line between, I mean, she didn't need it to be taken off to live, but she needed to have a relatively normal life. So was there a moment while spending time documenting that little girl and, and the kind of the wider project that something clicked that you kind of went, yes, actually th- I, I totally get this and this is important. And this yeah. is something that I want to pursue. I really enjoyed it. And I, I got a real thrill from it. Uh, but the moment that, uh, the moment that I guess the moment I, this all kind of clicked into place was actually in Afghanistan a, a couple of months later. And I was drawing. It's a natural, it's a natural step, isn't yeah. it? From uh, a little girl, uh, cosmetic surgery to Afghanistan during the Afghanistan conflict. Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was an obvious step if you wanted to record news or tell stories. And it says 2006, September 2006, the first British uh, army tour of, of Afghanistan. And I was quite rightly kind of kept contained in camps and looked very much looked after. Um, away from the danger so my drawings were of uh, British soldiers sleeping and working and mucking around in the camp and doing all the things that young men do when they're not at work uh, however um, waiting to go to war and I guess that was what it, why it was interesting because the so it became more interesting over the course of 13 years because uh, a lot of the a lot of the cameras were at the, on the front line and a lot of this who are you know who are these young men and women who go and fight for their country was kind of missed because 90% of the time is in, in bases. So. And if you're honest, how much of that trip was documenting something that people weren't necessarily seeing versus, I mean, a bit of an adventure, a bit of a, it's not on the top of most people's lists when graduating <laughs> illustration to go, yeah, I could move to London or I could, let's go to Afghanistan. It's, it was a bold move. If you're honest with yourself, how much of it was that kind of thrill of in the kind of putting yourself well out of your comfort zone? Or, or is this well within your comfort zone? Didn't realise you can ask me to be honest, Will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't feel uncomfortable. And I don't, th- I think there is a, there is a misconception, well, I don't know, people will probably not believe this, but I think pe- there is a misconception between if you say you went to somewhere like Afghanistan, where I've been a couple of times and Syria a couple of times, that you must be in direct danger the entire time. And of course, that's not the case. And it's, and it's not the case. It's not, 
I feel by no means as brave as the people who, the Syrians who spend their lives there in, under constant threat or the, or the soldiers that spend their six months tour there. So really, yeah, really what I'm looking for as an illustrator is to try and draw the, the things that you wouldn't necessarily see and, and, and you've got to have time to be able to do that. So it's not going into the middle of Aleppo and standing and trying to take those photos that we've seen Don McCullen take and, and all those brilliant photographers. So uh, at the same time, yeah, it is an adventure, but I think like, I think you have to go to a place that inspires, that you feel like you have a reason for, for being there and that inspires you to do the best or your best work. And I suppose some artists find that in uh, the life room with a particularly kind of charismatic model. Some find it on, uh, in landscapes, some find it in, in different places, but, but yeah, I find it when, when you're telling a story about things that, that you wouldn't otherwise see. And so it often overlaps in adventure and often, but, 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 but equally a lot of the time it's, uh, you know, I've done drawings in court in Germany. I've done drawings on an oil rig in the North Sea. I spent two months in Romania in, a couple of years ago. The fruit and vegetable for Channel 4. <laughs> I've done fruit and veg for Channel 4. Uh, when, you, when you look at that um, body of work from Afghanistan with the benefit of hindsight, what, how do you kind of look back on it now and, and other, other kind of particular lessons that you maybe learnt while doing that first series? I think, well, one of the reasons I went back to Afghanistan was because uh, I felt that the first time I'd spent too long inside a British base, kind of a sort of point of view of the British soldier. And actually I knew that, you know, having been in Syria and Azerbaijan and West Africa, that all these places that people say are, are intimidating or scary, that actually outside that there would be a life that carried on. And, and these drawings I did in uh, the end of last year there were exactly that. Girls going to school, uh, a couple of charities putting um, prosthetic limb clinic, and putting some people back together, not necessarily war related, but uh, markets opening up, exhaust pipe shops, you could have been anywhere in the world. And so, yeah, that's the perspective I think I want to try and give. And particularly when, particularly when news is so often concentrated on that shocking moment. And I think, photo I think photography is brilliant at doing that, but I think it can lead to news that is, is sensationalized, not, not, on the basis that an individual sets out to to be shocking, but this but the system itself demands that the news is provided is is going to sell is needs to sell. So this, I guess, is a different angle to that. And and that first, I, I keep referring to it as the first series. I, it's not. It's probably mm. the second after the the cosmetic surgery and stuff. From that series in Afghanistan, though, the kind of the commercial outlet for that, mm. you come back and you did a gallery show or it was looking at news outlets that might want to run the story and pay for the images or kind of how nuanced were you with, with trying to make it pay yeah, back then? Not at all. The first stuff I don't think had ever been published. Uh, and yeah, and, and the, the plastic surgery definitely was never published. <laughs> Uh, actually, I think probably most of my stuff has not been published. That isn't necessarily what I was getting, Andrew. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've checked you your saying? site. It's definitely been published. Uh, maybe not that serious, but kind of how did you, um, how did you go about funding the next trip, the next trip? Yeah, okay. So I think I just, there's a balance. Basically, my, my, I guess the business behind it 
to put it very straight in a straightforward way is split half between selling original pieces of work at, at, at exhibitions so every 18 months and um, the adventure or the explorer side of that helps in a very blunt way to sell that and the other half of it is selling to magazines and newspapers or getting funding from people who support uh, journalism um, kind of some free and different journalism in different parts of the world and then combining that with license fees from people um, people like the Guardian and the Times and uh, which is difficult actually because it's always easier for them to stick with a photograph. You have to convince them why why they want to spend double the money on a on an illustrator. It's not as accurate. The viewers don't know it. They don't necessarily know you're going to produce a good drawing. So that's the game, and uh, it's still difficult to do. I think uh, we're going to talk more about the game uh, just after this quick break. What, the book, the game, the book. I don't read books, George. Uh, Thanks for listening. I just wanted to take this quick opportunity to tell you a little bit more about Lecture in Progress. Lecture in Progress is a resource to help the next generation of creatives make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. Aware that the gap between education and industry is only widening, Lecture in Progress will help demystify the creative world we work in. We'll explain everything from the huge range of jobs that exist, how people got into the industry and how much you can expect to get paid, right through to how a project comes together and taking a look into the studios and workplaces in which they happen. We see Lecture in Progress being funded through annual membership, largely made up of current students and recent graduates. We're aiming to build a relationship with these members as the site grows and develops over the next 12 months and we want to make sure that we deliver the content that they will find most useful and that can't be found anywhere else. Members to Lecture in Progress will get full access to the website and archive, become part of a network of like-minded individuals, they'll receive member-only offers and promotions and invitations to events, they'll also have the opportunity to apply for funding for creative projects, they'll be invited to studio visits as well as entry to our annual awards programme. Please do check out the first version of the website at lectureinprogress.com. There we've put together a number of articles and resources that best demonstrate what we plan to do. You can also find a link to the Kickstarter campaign that will be running throughout October. We've tried to make it as simple as possible to get behind the project and hope you'll like the rewards we've made, many of which are only available on Kickstarter. Please do back the project and all being well, we'll be back on the 1st of January 2017. Back to the interview. Welcome back. I'm with George Butler. Um, before we were chatting about that kind of the, the game of um, selling your work and kind of the commercial endeavour. It was that Afghanistan project that I think I, I kind of vividly remember seeing first. Later in Syria, in August 2012, um, I read and reminded myself of this fact. You walked from Turkey across the border into Syria, whereas un- where as an unofficial guest of the rebel Free Syrian Army, you spend four days drawing the civil war-damaged small and empty town of Azaz. Six months later, you go back to Syria to record the stories amongst the refugees. Um, I think there's a certain... There's a certain shock value when you read that and see the images. What's the reality, though? Because, again, it's, it's, this is something that's kind of Syria and the volume of coverage has certainly grown since then. But just give us insight into planning that trip, the desire to go to Syria, and actually yeah. the reality of crossing that border. Okay. <laughs> the, well, the planning of the trip was pretty non-existent. I 
I was kicked out of my house for the Olympics and thought I'd spend the rent on doing my job. Uh, and, and, and so I had this idea of going to Turkey and waiting for this exodus of refugees that we imagined came across because that's what we see on Sky News, BBC. But of course, when you get there, the, as you say, the reality is different. And what I found was uh, the UN refugee camps closed to anybody who wasn't quite rightly closed, to anybody who wasn't registered to go inside them. And just the old news team waiting around on the border. In the hotel I was staying at, uh, there just were kind of journalists knocking around, some of them going in, some of them going out. And it occurred to me, uh, as I spent 10 days there, sort of wandering around and meeting various people that that it was possible to do this and and to walk in across the border. You didn't need a, a visa. It was open. Uh, the, the border was open so that refugees could come out and aid could go in. So technically... You needed a passport was, for that or it was as simple as walking through? I needed a passport to be stamped by the Turkish side um, and, a, and a visa to come back into Turkey. But in terms of the, the other border, uh, the, the Free Syrian Army held that. And so... so so you didn't need anything really, and at the same time, I suppose from the other from the other point of view, this was a time when the or, the the, the, mod, the moderate opposition, what what was they were described at, were looking for ways to tell their side of the story. So, so when journalists arrived, they sort of took them under their wing and said, "What do you want to do? Where do you want to go?" Um, I remember the guy speaking to me. I think he was called Yusuf, just saying, "You know, do you need a car? Do you need a translator?" how do we, yeah, how can we help you? And, and, and I was thinking, you know, I've got this far and even you understand what I want to do. Now I just need to say to people in England, that's a good idea. Uh, so that was the, I guess, I guess that was the, the logistics of it. And, and realistically that was, you know, it was just a question of then walking from one side to the other, three or four kilometers. And, um, and yeah, and into, into, into Azaz, which was this, which was this incredibly kind of sad place to beat the bombing had finished 10 days earlier and uh, obviously didn't know at the time, but started up again a week later. But for that period in the middle, a lot of people as they do and still do in Syria, sadly five years on, were moving moving round and round from place to place, trying to seek sanctuary, sanctuary with friends or uh, in places that they thought they, that they, could, they could be safe. So Azaz was an example of that, people coming back to see if their shops had been caught in the damage um, these sort of monstrous burnt out tanks piled in into the middle of their towns and mosques falling down on top of them and uh, people being dragged into hospitals and and so yeah it sounds more shocking to talk about it now uh, but at the time I don't remember feeling intimidated I guess you I guess you are I guess you're, you're basically your reaction is very much on the people around you and it was normality for them and so they you know whilst they're kind of looking after you and giving you food and they put me on the back of the bike one morning, decided that I looked messy and took me to the hairdresser. No question of being paying for it. Like wanted to cut, desperate to cut my hair, but uh, instead settled for a shave. Uh, and yeah, I remember that guy. He's called Faraz. And, and yeah, it's sort of quite, I hope these, those drawings do, kind of do him justice, justice if no one else. And how does it work in terms of the body of work that you you create while out there? Do you reach a point that you either run out of, of money to stay or do you have mm -hmm. a return flight that you know that you're getting or do you, do you simply create a body of work that you're pleased with that you kind of go, right, I can leave now confident that I've, I've done what yeah. I've come here to do? I think I set out now with an idea of what I'd like. 
but equally that always changes. So, but in places like Syria and Afghanistan, Syria in particular, you had to get that balance of of you know, how long can you stay in a place that's potentially life threatening, and and how, there's always a risk to other people who are helping or to, you're involved with. So, it was two or three days each time in Syria. And I remember just going from place to place, starting drawings like one of the tank in the in the square, then the uh, then the bakery, and then the, these guys leaving in a in a, in the car, the one you talked about through the car window, and just getting to a point where I knew that I could go back to sort of safety of Turkey and finish these drawings and and kind of do justice to them. So so after about three days, I've probably done ten or fifteen, twenty drawings, and. Um, it's safe, kind of safe. Yeah, I guess I felt that I, I had, I described what I'd seen as best as I could, and also offered. There's always a question in the back of my mind. I think it's one of my tutors always said to me, like, you know, what are you going to offer that's more than, than the next photographer who comes in and takes the same photo, and so I, that's always in the back of my mind. Like, how do you put it together a composition that that does more than that? Uh, good question. I'm guessing you you do get better at it, and you work out those things, and there'll, there'll be those images that you feel are more successful than others. Yeah. When putting together a trip and an, and an adventure, are there places? Are there, are there are there countless times in which you've gone right? I want to go here. This is the story I want to tell. Let's try and make it happen, and it just kind of falls apart. Or actually, you kind of driven enough, and you find a way, and it's it's about the endeavour to tell that story. I think I've always got the story I've wanted, but I suspect it's different from a photojournalist. The story that they might be capturing may only last a split second. Whereas illustration, I think, is a brilliant way of capturing the most common uh, experience. So in Lebanon, when I was drawing in the refugee camps, I was drawing, you know, not the war in Damascus or in, in East Ghouta and uh, or the bombing in Homs, but the most common experience for a Syrian caught up in in that conflict, and that, so there are a million, probably two million people in Lebanon living in tents, uh, in a pretty pretty appalling conditions, and so you're trying to describe that, and that's in a way easier to do if you're sitting there for longer. You're picking up habits that happen over hours or days or weeks, and uh, so that's been that's been the the case for most of my work I guess um, and sometimes of course you see something that you think that's got to be recorded and you try and do it and it moves and you think I wish I had a camera or <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't, we'll, we'll edit that out George no need to tell people that you wish you had a camera or we'll just use it as the main I mean, point, I'm, point I'm against photography yeah. I should add uh, no and I think and I think again I think that's you've made that point before about how you just think they they offer two very different things and you just happen to work on the on the side of illustration. Yeah. The same differences between drawing, making sketches in a sketchbook on a train or in a market and reportage illustration. There is, I think, also a difference between the two there. Um, when I want to talk more about kind of um, the reality of making this a career, was there a particular show or a particular commission or was there a kind of turning point while doing this that you had the confidence of, yep, yeah, this is what I'm going to do for the foreseeable. This is my career. This is what I do. Uh, I guess I had the confidence always to do it, and still do. But that, but uh, but equally, 
I don't know. I feel I I do make I I do make a living from it, so I do, technically do have a career. But I still feel like it's a that it, it's like a constant struggle to know. Struggle is the wrong word, but it's constantly you've got to keep that pressure up on all those people that you've ever spoken to about it to get to kind of keep the jobs coming in and then get paid for it on. Be quite inventive to how, on how you get paid for that. Um, and it just took three or four years to start with before. And you really have to prove yourself, I think, with places that you've been to and drawings that are good enough to publish, consistently good enough to publish, before you can go to someone confidently and say, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do it. Uh, and then you just have to hope that they believe you. <laughs> Which they do. Which, Which they do. They do. I so think. on that, so, what, so when you've kind of um, sold someone the idea of going somewhere and documenting it, what are the challenges that get thrown up time and time again when trying to pursue your process because because a lot of the work is created in situ you talk yeah. about kind of finishing things um yeah. elsewhere but the but the the bulk of the work is there with a essentially the photos i've seen it's like a big big yeah, bit of wood absolutely yeah. bit of paper your your watercolors your your pens and you're doing it there it's yeah. it's it's well that's what i think what's, what's so great about it and i think that's why it's so unthreatening and it opens so many doors because it's it's so simple and anyone, anyone can pick up a piece of paper and a pen and quite often people sit beside me and do drawings as well. I remember a guy in, in Edomeni in Greece, which is getting so much news at the moment, just this guy picking up a biro and coming sitting, ne- sitting next to me with a sort of cheeky smile on his face and, and drawing the same thing. And uh, yeah, so that's why I can't remember the rest of the question. <laughs> <laughs> It was the challenges that get thrown up while yeah. trying to. But I think there's something really nice about what you say about how, and I, I totally get it, a guy there with a bit of pen, uh, mm. with a bit of paper and a pen mm. is a lot less threatening than a guy with a camera. Um, and again, I'm not desperately trying to constantly put you and a photographer yeah. in a duel side by side. But there is, I, I think well, maybe I've taken it for granted that actually it's incredibly welcoming and unthreatening yeah. in, an, in an environment that more often than not people are unsure as to who people are and yeah. what's going on. Well, it's a good, uh, photography is a useful comparison, I think. Uh, we always had, in a, but but I guess illustration was always a proven formula before we started using photographs. In the 18th century, there's people like Rowlandson and Gilray and uh, Paul Hogarth, uh, William Hogarth, all did, you know, it was satirical, but it was all telling the news or comments on the news. And, uh, and yeah, so, I don't know. I think it's just, I, it's just, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, th- I, guess, I don't know. I, I guess I feel, I feel a bit guilty sometimes comparing the two, but, but it's, they're useful to have next to each other. Uh, I've got two last questions. Um, first up, when do you personally think your work is, is the most successful? I think it's the most successful when I've pushed myself to be somewhere that I think is sort of a challenging story to record uh, and uh, I guess I'm equally satisfied with the kind of technicality of of it as a drawing. Uh, But the two, yeah, the two definitely need to go side by side for me. 50% a good drawing, 50% uh, 50 the story. So, I mean, I, I quite often do live drawing and I get a certain... Yeah, satisfaction with like having a a decent drawing in a life room, but 
but it really comes when I have a, I guess the beginning, I suppose actually it's the beginnings of a relationship with someone, uh, not a friendship because it's too short for that, but you begin to have an understanding with someone or communication overdrawing or over an experience in, in any of these places. And then you try and you relate that onto a page and hope that someone can engage with it in the news or on a website or on it's nice that soon. Uh, my last question, uh, which is the same for this whole series, which is when you look back at your career today from everything that we've kind of chatted about today and the stuff that we haven't, is there anything that you'd have done differently? Like writing your own obituary, yeah. <laughs> well, my career's not been that long. No, uh, but your career to date. So when you, so if you take the most recent trip all the way back to um, studying at Kingston, is there anything that kind of stands out that says, yeah, I'd have probably done that differently? I feel like I should say yes, but I actually can't think of anything. I think for the moment, I think, I think actually it's one of those things that it's, in particular with illustration that actually there isn't a right way or a wrong way of doing it. You just have, I mean, just really have to keep, I mean, in terms of drawing, you just have to do that every day or as much as possible. And in terms of finding these stories, it's not about being in the right place at the right time or getting particularly lucky, which is often associated with, again, with people like Don McCullen for being in the right place, but, but just trying to draw things that interest you and, you know, really interest you. And then, uh, and just doing that consistently. And then people are interested by your interest in it. And I think that's what good storytellers do. Spot on. Thanks, George, for your time today. It's been great to chat to you. Pleasure. Uh, you've been listening to Lecture in Progress. Uh, you've been listening to Lecture in Progress. A big thanks for listening to this episode of Lecture in Progress. The music and sound for this podcast was produced by the wonderful Zelig Sound. Zelig produced some of the best original music and sound design for commercials, TV and films. Check them out at zeligsound.com. Do check out the rest of the series on the website at lectureinprogress.com. Do follow us on Twitter at lectureinprog for updates. And please do support the Kickstarter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>